Welcome to the HQ, where happiness lives. It's the key to grow and become better fathers. So turn up the volume, and thanks for hanging out with us. Learn how to overcome your divorce. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the HQ. Today is December 11, 2017. My name is Rob. I'll be your host for the show. Today, we got an interview today with my man, Jeff Canning. He comes in and drops off a lot of information and valuable tools that we can take to our lives and apply it while we go through our divorces and, you know, pre, post, during, whatever, uh, whatever the case may be. Jeff's got a lot of uh, information and valuable wisdom that he can share with us. So I can't thank him enough for coming on. I had to pull his leg to come on here. So please give the whole thing a listen. There's some great information that he leaves for us. All right. And some housekeeping. I do want you guys to join the group if you're not part of the Facebook group yet. There are hundreds of men going through all kinds of things and are all throughout different stages of their divorce. And they're just getting valuable advice from the members of the group, guys who have been through it or maybe who are going through it or just a little bit ahead of you and can give you some insight as to what your next step should be. There's not a lot of uh, support stuff for men out there, so this is why I created the group. So please come join us and support the movement, all right? We're only going to get bigger. And if you're not, uh, if you haven't gotten your uh, pre-order copy of the book yet, I suggest you do. I wrote this book because there are some things that the support group can't get all in one little tight little package. So that's why I created the book. This book helped me from coming out of the lowest of lows that I've been in. And it helped me put me on the path that I'm on now. So I can't be thankful enough for, you know, all the all the trials and tribulations that I went through in my life that helped me write this book. And I want to share it with you guys because I know that if you're going through something and you read this book and you pick it up, you will have the tools to do whatever it takes to drag yourself out of that dark spot that you're in. All right. So that's why I wrote the book. Definitely go get your pre-order copy. All the links are going to be in the show notes. All right, guys. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I have a very great friend of mine. His name is Jeff Canning. He is a dad and uh, he is on wife number two. He's been divorced, uh, but he's now happily married. Uh, we met at uh, our local Toastmasters group. Uh, it's, you guys don't know what Toastmasters is. It's a, it's a place where we can uh, learn our leadership skills and our public speaking skills. So that's kind of where we met. Uh, Jeff is just, you know, he's such a charismatic guy. And he's got like this great energy and I just had to invite him on to the show. So, uh, you know, let's give him a nice little welcome. Jeff, how's it going? <laughs> very good, Robin. Thanks very much for uh, having me on and letting me kind of speak to your group. Yeah, thanks very much. And, I, uh, you know, just before we got on the call, I, I explained to you a little bit briefly, uh, you know, about uh, the, the group that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of overseeing and overlooking here. And, um, you know, I know you have a lot of, valuable information that you can give uh, to these gentlemen and you know let's take you back uh, you know a little bit prior to your divorce like what did that look like you know leading up to 
to that or you know even before that let's let's talk about yeah. jeff let's talk about you know you uh you know how how did how did this all come about yeah i would say you know i had the luxury of uh about 20 years since the divorce happened so lots of time to play uh armchair quarterback and just think about why and how and stuff like that and if i'm being honest i would say we probably got married like number one and i got married almost by default you know we had dated for five years and her older sister got married the year before we did so we started to live together so i guess i guess you're supposed to get married um and it wasn't necessarily this deep emotional conviction it was really just sort of this is the next step in our relationship this is what we'll do um i don't think i realized it at the time but nevertheless that's sort of in hindsight what i think came about and because of that you go into a marriage not understanding probably what is really required to make it successful make it work uh and when we hit low bumps i'll be the first to admit i was the one that says oh you know this is too hard it means we're supposed to break up we're supposed to get out of this relationship and we're married for almost seven years um, no more than seven years, actually. And I think that we were probably happily married maybe for four and a half, stretching it to five. But I think for two years, we both just sort of went through the motions um, and did it in, like, we didn't fight. We didn't scream at each other. We didn't have big arguments. Uh, it was just apathy, which is sad, but that's sort of what it came to. Um, and I started to take more happiness from my work. She started to take more happiness sort of from her circle of friends and stuff like that. And uh, we just sort of allowed it to decay to the point where uh, we said, let's go our separate ways. I think, you know, I can say on my part, there was some infidelity at the very end. Uh, there may have been with my wife. I don't know if we've ever had sort of that rehashing of events. Um, but I think that infidelity at the end was just simply... Uh, another add-on it wasn't any part of sort of a marriage up until that point yeah and i completely relate to that uh you know leading up to my divorce i had that that same thing going on exactly that apathy um it was it was really sad because uh you know you're like you said you're going through the motions and you know you're just i guess you're, you're comfortable with what you know the daily routine and then but really there's a piece inside of you that's just like <laughs> aching it's like you yeah know, you know something's wrong and you know you don't know how to go about doing that and you know obviously you look for happiness uh, elsewhere and you know she did the same too so i mean you know yep. was there a tipping point was there like a trigger or it was just you know a mutual understanding at one point um there wasn't one incident uh i think that that act of infidelity on my part uh, maybe solidified in my head, like, wait a minute, you've already emotionally detached from this, and now you've physically kind of broken that oath. Um, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And so we had a three-year-old daughter at the time, so the fear of sort of upending all that and having to find a new place to, like all the practical crap that comes with separation and divorce, it starts yeah. to weigh on you, right? And you get fearful of it, and so that freezes you into inaction. Um, but uh, there wasn't one sort of tipping point. It was just Maybe that infidelity solidified in my mind what I knew emotionally already, that this is done. And it's funny, I went back and we had the talk and said, you know, let's call it a day. Um, and at first she was sort of not sure about it. Uh, we sort of hummed and hawed for a month or two or whatever, and I casually looked for apartments. 
Um, and then I started to sort of second guess whether it was going to happen or not. And then my ex-wife, to her credit, came out and said, no, 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 this is happening. <laughs> um, and so she kind of said, no, we're going to separate. And, uh, and we did. But uh, the funny part is, at the time, we were living in a triplex that her parents owned, and we were living in the ground floor apartment. Uh, and so it required me moving pretty quickly after I divorced her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see how that must have uh, felt. Um, you know, but you, you mentioned it was, it was sort of amicable uh, during the separation. It wasn't really, you know, tense, you know. Um, so... How did that look like for the for the child uh, for your kid? I mean, at the same time, like how how much how much benefit did she get because of uh, you guys weren't at each other's heads or throats, yeah. you know, trying to uh, you know settle settle things? Yeah, I think because she was young enough. Um, obviously, she wasn't exposed to great shouting matches or anything hostile like that at all. Um, you know, I think. I don't know if a three-year-old takes in sort of apathy or not. Maybe she does. Um, but she was exposed to that. It for sure, when it came time to tell her what mom and dad were going to do, was uh, the most gut-wrenching conversation I've ever had in my life. Um, and we both, my ex-wife and I, were there kind of filling up with tears and blubbering our way through it. She was sitting on her bed, and I think she was playing with a doll or a stuffed animal and not really getting that emotional about it. So we had to keep checking in with her when we were explaining it to her. Well, do you understand? This is what I mean. This is what I mean. And she was just very matter-of-fact about it. Uh, yeah, that's okay. You know, I'll see Daddy on these days, and I'll see Mommy on those days. We made a point, too, though, of making sure that uh, the school that she was at, she stayed at that same school. Uh, the apartment that we were in, I stayed in that, I think, for about another six or seven months just to sort of have some continuity for her uh, in her life. And we both made it a point of saying she's the, the focus now, right? Our issues are separate from her. It can't ever be something that she has to bear. We can't talk ill of each other. Like all the stuff you're supposed to do and logically you should do when you're divorced about protecting the child, we actually we actually lived it. That's awesome. And like, you know, what kind of tips can you give for, you know, men who are kind of in that in that situation? But it's not as amicable. Like, what do you suggest? Yeah. Uh, you know, you can tell these men that, hey, you know, you guys have to come together and make kind of a compromise for your, chi your, your child or your children in that sense. I mean, you know, looking back. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I think uh, when I talk to other people, I suspect what I went through with my first wife is sort of the exception as opposed to the norm. And for any dads, husbands that are going through or have gone through sort of that nasty divorce, that ugly anger, resentment, whatever that's sitting inside of you, you got to check that out uh, because it'll get in the way of every decision you try to make about moving forward, whether it's dealing with a child that might be involved, whether it's with a new partner that you're going to try to strike up a relationship with or whatever. Uh, and I know I'm saying something that's much easier said than done, but that that anger, we had it, and it would spread up usually when one or the other of us would start to date someone else, and it showed itself, I guess, as jealousy or whatever. Uh, and, and we would have sort of shedding arguments and stuff. And and our daughter, I think, saw one or two of them, and uh, she was older at the time, I think she was six or seven. And we 
we made a point of each kind of talking to her on the side and saying, hey, again, it's not you, it's it's mom and dad, and they have their own issues and stuff like that. We, uh, we went out of our way, too, at the very beginning, and this is just very practical stuff, Robin. Uh, it doesn't speak to the emotion of it, but, you know, when you have a child, there's expenses, uh, whether it's clothes or school or whatever it might be. Um, we went out of the way each month where we'd kind of track expenses and then we'd share it with each other on an Excel spreadsheet and say, okay, you know, you owe me 50 bucks, you owe me 80 bucks, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and there was never any uh, mistrust around something I would put on or something she'd put on it. And so that might be unique if there's already a lack of trust kind of between the husband and wife when they separate. To go to that level might take a little bit of work. Uh, I think, you know, if I'm being totally honest, if, if there's anger and resentment still, uh, I would give it some space initially and try to have your interactions, if there's a child involved, have your interactions just be with that child. If there is no child involved and there's still that anger and resentment around the separation, as a dad, you got to seek out people that can listen to you and maybe challenge some of your things, uh, push back a little bit, but also be that shoulder uh, so you know that it's not just you sort of in this great tornado of emotion. And... Uh, yeah, I wish I had more, Robin, but that's sort of it. No, no, no you, I mean, that's good. That's the, You don't even need more because, I mean, you're hitting every nail on the head there because, you know, just the pra- from the practical advice to even just that emotional step that you have to take, uh, you know, that step back. And then but going back to the practical, I mean, uh, I, I'd, I'd recently gotten some advice, uh, you know, you have to kind of treat your ex-wife as a business partner, I mean, you know, and so... <laughs> I mean, because but there are children involved, and yes, and and if you're if you were going back and forth with your business partner and you and everything is out on a spreadsheet and everything is all transparent, you're right. That trust factor is you know mitigated because you're you know and you can see physically, and and you know that's such a great tip, uh, you know practically, and then you know also from the from the mental aspect of things, yeah. If it's heated right now, I mean, take a step back. Yeah, um, yeah. Reanalyze things for a bit, and yeah, keep your interactions just to your child for now. Yeah, we were lucky. Just uh, I don't know, like even when we separated, uh, household possessions. Like we actually just took a piece of paper, each of us on a clipboard, went through the house and sort of divvied up who got what. And and it was almost comical because you know at times it would be okay. Well, if you take those steak knives, how about uh, I get the crock pot then? Well, no, if you get the crock pot, then I want this. Like, it was like, let's make a deal almost, right? But at the end of it, we had sort of a full list of who was taking what with them out of the, out of the relationship. And I mean, you know, we didn't have a lot, but still the stuff you need to get by, pots and pans and dishes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we just went about that very matter-of-factly, right? Uh, and I think, you know, for all the sadness around sort of there being uh, apathy in a relationship at the end, Maybe that lack of emotion just allowed us to kind of look at it, like you said, as business partners and say, okay, let's just do a transaction here. Let's get it done and then let's move on with our life kind of. So, mm-hmm. so okay, uh, I want to go back to something you had said. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, if you're not ready, you're going to be making all the wrong choices, whether it be in your, your next relationships or, you know, whatever, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did that look like for you, you know, after the divorce and, you know, you're going to start dating again. You're you're going to start looking at potential, uh, you know, partners again. Um, 
you know, take us through that that little yeah. journey there. Yeah, um, it probably took me a good year, year and a half uh, before I started to kind of entertain that thing, uh, looking for other relationships. And part of that was just wanting to make sure my daughter was, was solid, right? We moved to a new apartment then. I wanted to make sure that she was, you know, coping as well as could be expected. Uh, and then when it started, it was just a matter of one sort of uh, the guys I worked with reaching out to them and seeing who they might know or whatever, uh, bumping into people casually here and there. I know, uh, I know I would tell most of the dates I would go on, and this probably scared them away, <laughs> but I would tell most of them that, you know, hey, I came out of a relationship and actually there wasn't much emotion in it for the last two years, so I said I may be latching on pretty strong and pretty hard right from the get-go because I haven't had that in my life for so long. And I did that thinking that I was being, you know, transparent and authentic, but I think in hindsight now I probably scared a lot of girls off. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned this in my speech maybe uh, at Toastmasters there where I talked about it, but I, uh, I had no clue what the signals were. Like, just I'd been out of a dating game for way too long, wasn't inclined to go to bars or anything like that. Um, I think I tried sort of an online site once and just felt goofy doing it, so I didn't do that anymore. So why, why did you feel goofy about that? Well, again, I got some years on you, Robin, and so <laughs> it, it wasn't as easy as swipe right or swipe left. Um, you actually had to put a profile up online, and you had to wait for people to respond to it, and then you had to reply back to them. And I think, you know, at some point, a picture gets shared or whatever. Um, and I just wasn't... I had come out of a marriage, and I think disappointed myself that I couldn't sort of keep the vows that... I had spoken aloud to a room full of people, and so there was a little self-doubt on just my own worth, mm-hmm. and so to kind of start to try to market yourself out there <laughs> on a dating site, I struggle for the words, I think. I absolutely agree, man. Uh, I, I went through the same thing. Uh, I, I tried to put myself out there, and yeah, it just felt, like you said, it was just weird. Um, you know, even though you might have some years on me, I think, like, we still think, we still think the same, because... Uh, yeah, it was it was just not as simple as that for sure. It just, uh, I mean, the way you said it, it's funny. Like marketing yourself, I mean, for for suitors, as if like, hey, I'm here, uh, I'm for sale, kind of thing. And exactly. Just, like, <laughs> click on my link. Click yeah, on my link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely understand. Okay. Yeah, so no, I, most of the dates I had were just um, sort of, you know, a friend of a friend sort of put me on it and stuff like that. And the one struggle at the time. Uh, when I was sort of more active dating, just very quickly. But my wife and I, again, being very practical, decided after being separated for about two years or whatever, that there was an apartment we found, uh, a townhouse that we could share. She would have the top floor, I'd have the basement with a bedroom, and then the middle floor is where we'd raise our daughter, right? And so I thought, hey, that's great. It'll save us money, and we can co-parent well, and da-da-da. Um, trying to explain that to prospective dates <laughs> didn't, didn't go over very well <laughs> no honest we're separated but we're still living in the same house <laughs> yeah and then they're giving you the eye roll right exactly <laughs> i thought she returned my calls <laughs> oh jeez. okay so how did yeah. you so how did you meet your current wife and you know like so how did that happen yeah that was um quite by fluke uh, my daughter was taking swim lessons at a community center downtown and my wife now but at that time, was a uh, swim instructor at the pool. And so, uh, just sort of, you know, obviously saw her first by the pool, and so that was a bonus. And 
then after each sort of swim practice, uh, got to chat a little bit and so on. And I think it must have been 12 weeks of swim lessons or whatever, but it took me literally to the end of the 12 weeks to get up the courage to ask her out. But we would have good conversations like on the pool deck afterwards uh, where you could tell there was sort of a connection and so on. And I found out that she had a daughter. Uh, and so I was smart enough to sort of say, so, you know, what's your husband do? And then quickly found out there wasn't a husband in the picture. So <laughs> that was a big, that was a big thumbs up when I found that out. And I, uh, love, I loved when you told that story at, at Toastmasters because it was, it just brought like such a, a feel good joy inside of me because, you know, that is such a, a great feeling. I think after getting divorced, you know, you're, you're finally, you found the one you, you know, you said and you mustered up what, tw it took you 12 weeks to yeah. muster up that courage. <laughs> like, I mean, that, that right there is, you know, you, you being smitten. You were, you were taken by her for, for so long and, and yeah. then you just went for it, you know? So, you know, I, I commend you on that. I mean, that took, probably took you a lot of courage and that was very sneaky of you to ask. So, uh, <laughs> you know, how's, how's the husband, uh, or where, where's he in the picture? So, you know, that was very slick of you. So, yeah. And, and, I had you, to figure that out. yeah. And, uh, you know, so, okay. How long have you guys been married now since, um, uh, 14 years, September just passed was 14 years for us. So amazing. So you probably learned so much, you know, from this relationship, you know, as, and I don't really want you to compare, but I mean, maybe just what are your takeaways, I guess, you know, you know, yeah. having such a successful marriage now and you know, what is, what is that? What, what, how much light can you shed on that topic for, for yeah. these guys? I, um, you know, I want to be truthful with you, Robin, and with, you know, anyone that's listening, and that, you know, it's 14 years, but for sure, there's been bumps and hurdles uh, to get through, so it isn't as though, so number two just goes smoothly, and I think, for my part, it's coming to it, uh, I went and did therapy with a therapist uh, before I even got married, before I even asked my wife to get married, because I needed to make sure that infidelity wasn't going to be a part of it again, and I wanted to make sure that I understood the commitment that I might be entering into. And so with this second marriage, it's different because when things happen, that sort of a road bump or whatever you want to call it, a, a hurdle, um, I don't see it as, oh, it's bad, i got to get out of here. I see it as, okay, this is something we got to work through, let's get talking, let's get deep, let's figure it out. Uh, so the improvement on this one over marriage number one is probably self-induced, just arming myself with some of those tools to be better at communicating, uh, to be better at listening, better at sort of putting myself in the other person's shoes, and not, not giving up so quickly because, you know, we've got something that on balance is very, very special. Um, yeah. And yeah, when crap hits the fan... You know, you don't like it, but it doesn't mean you throw the whole thing overboard. You just got to figure out how to get through this one little problem and then keep moving forward because, believe me, there's so much good. Uh, it just makes sense to keep doing that. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's that's perfect, honestly. Yeah, I don't think you could have said any, any better than that for sure. All right, uh, we'll take you to a, a lighthearted part of the show, guys. Uh, you know, we, as much as we love to pry into Jeff's mind here, let's pry into another section of his mind where we get to be a little bit, uh, you know, we get to know him a little bit on a personal level, and I want to get to know him too. So 
Uh, this part of the show is called the Random Five. I'm going to ask you five random questions and, you know, just answer to your heart's content. That's all it is. All right. All right. So uh, if you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you be and why? Uh, the first thing that came to mind, and I'll go with it, is giraffe. And <laughs> in part because uh, with wife number one, the family called me a giraffe because I have a long neck. <laughs> Uh, and yet, you know, even to this day, I have a couple of giraffe statues around the house. Uh, they're pretty graceful creatures when you see them galloping across the plains of the Serengeti. Uh, they're never wanting for food because they get those leaves at the top of the tree. Uh, they have god-awful-looking faces, which maybe is uh, <laughs> how I align with them. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, just uh, very graceful creatures and... I guess the long neck piece kind of ties into that. So that's been my animal. Awesome. I love that answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your favorite book or what is, are, are you reading something right now? Hmm. Uh, the book I'm reading right now, I can't even think of the title of it, is uh, the movie Concussion that Will Smith was in. It's the actual book by that doctor on his life and how he came to be uh, in the United States and kind of be at the top of his field. And discovering CTE and professional football players. Uh, but I tend to look at things that are more non-fiction, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, some fiction, but usually it's pretty light stuff. But mostly non-fiction. Uh, earlier in my life, I read a lot of sort of management guru-type books. Uh, but I like things about politics, I like things about self-help. Um so yeah, I, uh, I tend to listen to more podcasts now. It could be TEDx talks. It could be Gary V dropping f bombs at me. It could be uh, you know, nice. there's any number of podcasts out there. But just sort of whatever I'm trying to feel that day, I'll search it out and Perfect. usually do that when I'm walking the dog. Nice. All right. Um, if you could hop on a plane right now, where would you go in the world and why? I would go to Hawaii, uh, and I've been there before, so it's not as though I haven't been there before, but it is the one place in the world where the picture that you saw on the postcard actually matched what you saw in person when you were there. Nice. I hope yeah, you haven't just, been looking at uh, the recent pictures of Hawaii. There was a whole bunch of snow Oh, get out! And, uh, yeah, it was insane. I couldn't, I couldn't believe uh, the Ow. story. There was this a picture I saw. I think it was on a beach. All the the palm trees were covered in snow. The beach was covered in snow, and it just looked terrible. That's crazy. That's but, crazy. Yeah. So I mean, that's global warming for you. But I mean, uh, you know, Hawaii. I think someone just photoshopped that in. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it could be fake news. I should have, I should have double checked. Yeah. So um, okay. There, uh, here's the next question. Uh, do you have any weird eating habits? Like, um, I mean, like, okay, so for example, I used to, you know, Ruffles potato chips. I used yeah. to, you know, when I was a kid, I used to eat them like ripple by ripple. I would just, <laughs> you know, it was just some weird, weird thing that I used to do. Yeah, um, no, I, uh, I know that uh, I'm a chocoholic and I say that, <laughs> you know, not to sort of uh, elicit any lightheartedness about it but chocolate is my go-to food if i'm stressed if i'm depressed or whatever uh i need chocolate ice cream i need a chocolate bar i need a chocolate candy of some sort um and then my other fix is red licorice 
but I'm very particular. Like it can't be nibs. Uh, it has to be those Twizzler types. Yes. And, and man, I don't buy the small pack. I buy the big Econo pack, like from Walmart. <laughs> and I'll just mow that thing down on my own. Like just, it's like just they go into my mouth like a lawnmower, just just devouring them. It's not anything to be proud of because I don't think there's much in the way of any natural ingredients in these things. No, I mean, but... I'm eating wax, but uh, <laughs> yeah, licorice and just sort of mowing down a big Econo bag of. Licorice is my uh, my odd and very unhealthy food uh, food problem. That's awesome. I uh, I grew up uh, manning a convenience store, so yeah, I definitely can relate. I was never in the nibs into the nibs. I was always eating the Twizzlers. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I would bite off the ends of each and you know drink drink use that as a straw. So. That's cool. I've never yeah. tried that. <laughs> All right, uh, last question here, the random five. Uh, if you had to meet someone who is dead right now, who would it be and why? Hmm. Uh, probably, it'd be a toss-up between Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King. Uh, and I don't know why. I, I have a real affinity for black culture. And I know that sounds odd coming from a, Right, man. But um, no, just like even growing up, uh, and again, I'm going to date myself here, but you know, uh, American Bandstand would be on with Dick Clark and stuff like that. I didn't want to watch that. There was Soul Train on, and it was a much more compelling visual in terms of their outfits and how they danced and stuff like that. Um, and even the music I would listen to, I was much more into, you know, Motown type stuff than any of the other stuff. Uh, you know, and I wanted to buy the big flowery shirts and the loud pants and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, kids would chase me home from school and <laughs> beat me, but uh, it's still something. And even, you know, to the point where I've instilled it in our kids that, you know, I wanted them to read books when they're young about the Underground Railroad and just the struggles of the American Civil Rights Movement and stuff like that to have some empathy for whatever races they had to go through just to try to even get equality yeah so if i can speak to either of those gentlemen and just sort of understand better what their conviction was and how they were able to stay strong you know with both of them going through such hell god uh oh, to still yeah. sort of keep, keep the fight moving forward that would be i'd just be sitting there with my head in my hands and awe just like soaking it in Absolutely. And those are such powerful, powerful people. I mean, Nelson Mandela, I mean, his story is just yeah. absolutely insane. It's, it's, it's breathtaking. It's mind blowing. Yeah. I just. What was it, 27 years in jail or something like that? It, it, yeah, 26 years. And then he said that I'm going to stay in for another year because this was the right way. Yep. <laughs> you know, That's and crazy. it was just, let me out last. That's what he said. And. Yep. Just insane, his story. Uh, so, yeah, that would be a really good person to, you know, kind of interview. That would be awesome for sure. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And the whole, and the whole um, you know, when I was growing up, I was into uh, hip-hop culture and, you know, rap. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. I, I follow a lot of basketball and, you know. Yeah, I, I think for me it was uh, just growing up in Bradford, like, you know, when I was younger, there was a lot of white kids, I guess, yeah. hanging around with me, and we'd play road hockey, and that's what it was about, and so on, kind of when I was 8 to maybe 12 or 13. Um, but then, as I got into sort of late high school and even into university, I, I 
I have this real desire to be a part of something that is ingrained and cultural. And so even now, like I look at those old Italian men that sit in front of the espresso shops and stuff like that, and I go, yeah, that's what I want to be doing when I'm retired. I want a group of six or seven guys that we're all tight with, and we sip espresso, and we jab at each other, and we just talk about the whatever the news of the day or whatever, but just have that sort of male bonding experience. And I think within sort of the waspy background that I come from, there isn't a lot of that sort of bonding that goes on. It tends to be more culture-based, whether it's black groups, whether it's Italian groups or whatever. Um, and so I, uh, I miss that and I love that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, growing up in Canada, especially just the whole multicultural, uh, you know, scene, you, you're just almost, you're almost, uh, accustomed to it. You have to be, you have to be accustomed to it. Otherwise, yep. uh, you know, you're kind of falling behind. I mean, but anyway, you know, thank you for that. I mean, I got to know you a lot, uh, in those last, in those last five <laughs> questions. And I found out that we had a really, a lot in common, actually. So that was great. That's um, cool. So, I mean, you know, Jeff, like, I, 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 I just want to thank you for coming out, um, you know, just being very on, uh, open with us and, you know, telling your story. And you dropped a lot of uh, great, valuable information for the guys listening. And, you know, I just appreciate you for coming on. Uh, the last part of the show, I'm just going to ask you uh, just one piece of advice that you could give a divorced dad listening right now or anybody who's going through a hard time or they're going they, maybe they've gone through it or anything that you feel like is just super valuable for them to take away yeah what would that be uh i guess if the relationship's done the divorce is done then and i'm saying this assuming there's no kids involved but if there's no kids involved then that past is going to be left there in the past and the only way you're going to move forward is if you start turning your eyes towards that future, right? And it's not going to be a straight line. There's going to be lots of up and downs to get there, but as long as you're moving in the right direction, I think that's that's critical. You can't just keep reliving the past and saying, well, what if she had said this or what if I had done that? It's the decision's done. You know, the paperwork's signed. Uh, you got to move on uh, and sort of learn from it for sure, but don't let it define you. It's got to be just, you know, something that is part of your toolbox now, but then you're going to look forward. You're going to acquire new skills just like I did and get on to better relationships. And if there's a kid involved, honestly, Robin, the advice is make sure that kid or children are front, center, numero uno without any, any exception. Uh, you had better do that because that kid or kids didn't ask for you guys to separate. They didn't ask you brought into the world. And if you allow that emotional shit to cloud their life, you are doing just such an injustice to them. So if there's kids involved, put your spouse crap to the side and make them numero uno, man. I love it, man. Thank you so much, Jeff Canning. I love it. Thank you so <laughs> My much. My pleasure, Robin. Thank All you right. for letting me... Uh, let me dump a little bit. It's good. <laughs> Thank you for so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. And this won't be the last, I hope. No, definitely not. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for listening. I'm out. Rob, your host. Peace out.